I'm Adam Coleman, inviting you to the fifth season of The Cosmic Library from LitHub. This season, we go on our tiniest reading adventure yet, into short stories in the U.S. But this too turns out to be almost all-encompassing. I think short stories are essentially brief encounters with felt life. That's Oxford literary scholar Andrew Kahn, who gives us a deep history of the short story. And we hear from The New Yorker's Deborah Treisman, who explains her work as an editor of short fiction. You know, if you are melding with another person, you don't turn that person into you, but you get to know the ins and outs of that person. So, and it's, it's sort of like that. I always feel involved with the stories. We bounce around between the history and current life of short stories with the novelist Justin Taylor. The nice thing about it going out of fashion is that it really frees you up to relate to it in a different way. This being the Cosmic Library, we make sure to go way beyond U.S. short stories, too. Here's the Washington Post critic, Becca Rothfeld. A lot of Kafka short stories, I think, gesture at or describe um, sort of nightmarish geographies or architectures. And the actor Max Gordon Moore reminds us just how wild short stories can be. With a reading in its entirety of Wakefield, the intensely strange, classic Nathaniel Hawthorne story. He had contrived, or rather he had happened, to dissever himself from the world, to vanish. Get ready for all that and more in a season about short stories, small windows into vast universes. It's season five of The Cosmic Library, available soon wherever you go for podcasts. Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman, and it is a thrill to be joined today from Lagos by Ayobami Adebayo, who was born in Lagos, Nigeria. Her debut novel, Stay With Me, has been translated into 20 languages, long-listed for the International Dylan Thomas Prize and the International Dublin Literary Award. Stay With Me was a New York Times, Guardian, Chicago Tribune, and NPR Best Book of the Year. Her new novel, is called A Spell of Good Things. Welcome. Thank you. Let's start with the title of this new novel mm. because it comes from a very specific line in the book about how Yeye sees the world. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me, Mars. So I started thinking about this book quite a while ago and Usually I have working titles that often end up in the bin. And then the working title for this was Good Things, you know, initially. And I think it was really around the idea of aspirations. And almost every character in the book has some aspiration that is a driving force for them. And it was a, an idea that was right there at the beginning. And I think managed to stay there until the end. And then I kept playing with that. You know, there were a number of iterations that had good things in them. And then at some point during one of the drafts, you know, I came, I wrote that sentence and I sort of just think, oh yeah, this is what this book is, this is what the title of this book. The other thing about it is that it also, not so coincidentally, is similar to the title of a book titled Everything Good Will Come, which is a novel I quite like. And I suppose that from the beginning, I wanted to, have a nod to that novel in the title of this one. I love that. And so 
Let's talk about how the novel works from a structural point of view first. We have two intertwining stories and you kind of set us up for when inevitably they will collide. How do you keep them separate? How do you juxtapose the narratives until that moment? Yeah, I mean, the short answer, I'll try to give a longer answer. The short answer is that I simply did it again and again and again <laughs> uh, <laughs> until it was just right. For instance, I mean, you read the book. So initially, the two main characters who were going to be there throughout the book were going to be Eniola, who is still a main character. And we're all as younger sister, Motera. So initially I had two Hanko characters who were about the same age. And then, you know, I wrote about a couple of drafts before realizing, actually, this is, I mean, she can't really carry the story of the other family as well as the older sister can. And I think I also realized that I was removing myself from having to deal with some of the things the older sister was dealing with. So I had a character who was looking at it from the outside in, you know, but it wasn't working. So the first thing is that I go through a lot of drafts and I just get to the end and then I read it again and I see that this is sloppy here. This is a bit lopsided. I need to move things around a bit. I think the other thing that helped was also getting to know the characters for myself. So one of the things that I did with this book for quite a number of the characters, if not all of them, was to try to write a day in their lives, you know, start in the morning and end in the evening. And I feel like it gave me a sense of who they are, you know, even if, and I think that structure is sort of retained for a number of the characters that we interact with, like Eniola's younger sister. You know, we sort of start with I in the morning and then that's what our chapter is. It's compressed in a sense. So that helped me to have some understanding of this is how their day would go and this is how it might fit into another character's day or mirror another character's day. And this is where they then should come in in the novel but the real thing is really that I did it over and over and over again. <laughs> I mean, I guess there's only one way to do it, which is to keep writing. But I think throughout the novel, we see similarities in how Rola's family and Iniola's family live and behave. Mm -hmm. And even mm -hmm. though there are huge class disparities. I feel like one of the big themes in this book for your characters is not to take anything for granted, to always have a backup plan that contingencies are incredibly important. Absolutely. That, that's something that I wanted to weave into the novel, you know, that title is Pell of Good Things. It's very much a novel about Nigeria and what it means to live in Nigeria. I mean, we're recording a little later because of the power cord, like 10 minutes exactly. before I was supposed to start. So that's sort of what it means for many Nigerians, at least for me, that you need to have a backup to your backup plan because you can't really rely on public infrastructure. You can't really rely on systems. So I've observed, I think in myself and in other people, that it's a way that oftentimes it then approach life itself, you know, the this awareness 
you know, about things just going seamlessly. You know, there's power right now, but somewhere at the back of my mind, I'm thinking, what am I going to do if it goes off right now? <laughs> so, I have a plan. <laughs> so yeah, I also wanted to capture that in the book. And you do so much in terms of, we we see Wariola at at work in a hospital and how overwhelmed she is, not only because it's a hard job, but because the hospital can't provide like PE for her. She is meant to bring her own. And on the opposite side, we, of course, see the schools that that are so important, clearly, to, to Aniola's entire family and how they just constantly let that family down. I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the early aughts in Nigeria and what was happening and why these institutions at this point in particular feel like they're really coming apart. Mm. Nigeria was just coming out of decades of military dictatorship. So the, there had been elections in 1999 for the first time in years. And the last election before then had been annulled and, you know, the military just continued in power. So it was a very hopeful time. Initially, I think that people came to it with a lot of hope and again, a lot of aspiration and thinking that, you know, finally the country is going to get on course because now we can vote, now we can have a say in who gets into power. And now there's going to be some form of accountability. But I, I feel in retrospect, you know, and I'm writing this years later, that the solution meant started to set in within the first few years for many people and particularly for people who were not middle class or upper middle class, that the institutions that had been falling apart before the military too gave all the power to the civilians, many of them did not receive the kind of attention that they needed. That is part of what the book is sort of also trying to reflect that moment, that mix of both hope and disappointment, because it's all still harking towards another election. But so many of these people have waited so long, you know, for democracy. And it's not as magical as they thought it would be. And I, and I also think that after so many years of military rule, the expectations of how fast things could change yeah. could have been a bit exaggerated, really. And the letdown that follows after a few years and there's no dramatic change in the day-to-day -day lives of many people is, is what I think we see going on in your last family. Thrive Market is my go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials. And the convenience of getting it all quickly shipped to my doorstep is a huge time saver. I was so happy to see that they carry my favorite protein bars as well as Wandering Bear cold brew in a big size. As a Thrive Market member, I can save money on every single order. On average, I save over 30% each time. $15 on my last order. On top of the massive savings on each order, Thrive Market has a deals page that changes daily, gives me cash back on so many brands, and they have a price match guarantee. Not only does Thrive Market save me money, but they have also saved me time. I love the filters on their website or app. They have over 70. 
Whether you're looking for certified gluten-free snacks or non-toxic cleaning essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with the click of a button. I'm diabetic, so I love how many low-carb treats I can find on Thrive Market. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one -one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash marisreview for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Maris Review. Thrivemarket.com slash Maris Review. Yes. And especially with his father, we see ambitions changing in that he was a principal. He valued the humanities, believed that was a path forward. And then suddenly the state disagreed with him. Talk about that a little yeah. bit. So that's something that actually happened, you know, in the home state, my home state in Nigeria, that I think it was year 2000, a whole generation of teachers were just sacked, you know, primarily in the humanities, history, fine arts. It was just, this is useless. All the children need to know is science and technology. And there was all this, talk about that on the radio and so there's this man who all his life you know has believed in the value of his profession you know as an educator as someone who was teaching history you know and the state says to him no you're not needed anymore and can't handle it and he ends up you know in deep in depression and I wanted to look at that with that family and the impact it has on that child, you know, and the impact that it has, I think, the ripple effect of policies like that, that at some point in the novel, the son says to himself, God forbid I ever become a teacher. Because when the state introduces that kind of policy, you're not just talking to those teachers, you're talking also to the children that were teaching that this is not a valuable profession, this is not a respected profession, and this is not what you wow, you know. So it was something that I really wanted to write about. And, I, and it was also something that a few years later, history was struck off the subject list totally, you know, in a secondary school. That has been changed now, so I'm happy about that. That's but, good. Yes. <laughs> um, but I just think that the people who wield power to their own advantage are often very interested in 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 stopping, say, for instance, history from being taught, because then people have a different kind of consciousness that they are invested really in tampering with education of systems in 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 very specific ways because they recognize how influential that can be for the next generation. Absolutely. And then the focus on science and technology is very much a capitalist kind of goal. Like how Absolutely. do you get the most value out of people? 
Absolutely. And, and I, I find it, it really struck me that both Aniola and his sister, when they can't pay their tuition at school, mm. they are flogged by the principal. And Aniola takes it and doesn't bring it up with his parents. And his mm. little sister is not quite as what's the word I'm looking for it's not respectful (laughs) I think she's not she hasn't been what's the word I think her spirit hasn't been broken yet you know I think that's it that our spirit hasn't been broken yet you know that she's still in that space where the world is still hoping to her in a way that it's not necessarily as hoping to her brother and because he's done about five years of this and it's just it's damaged him in some way you know and she is she's still more hopeful about our own life and our own prospects and she's not she hasn't been broken yet you know and with her and even with Rural's younger sister you know, in our interaction with their mother and the way she's able to yeah. sort of hands her back and say, this doesn't make sense, you know? I really, I, the, the two characters actually are very precious to me because I feel that, that I hope that, oh, I think that they represent a generation, you know, in Nigeria right now that, you know, I was having this conversation a while ago with my husband and we were sort of saying, you know, trying to theorize, that they are the generation that was born after a military dictatorship. They don't know what it is like to grow up under the ambient fear of being under military rule. I think the military handed over power maybe when I was in GSS3, I must have been 13 or 13 or so. I still remember how afraid everybody was. You know, how it's, you grew up with it. It's this ambient fear in the atmosphere that you internalize in a certain way. But I think this is a generation that was born. I mean, this particular character weren't born at that point, but for me, they sort of represent those people who are much more outspoken, who are not as fearful, who the way I can describe many of them is that their spirits have not been broken. I mean, it's refreshing. And and I really do love both little sisters and how they go about showing that their spirits haven't been broken. And Motara is an interesting case because is she spoiled? Yes. <laughs> Does she wear tube tops whenever and not address her elders properly? Yes. And yet she really does seem to have a lot of good points, especially when she counts the number of times that her or anybody in the world refers (laughs) to the time when she will be married as if that is the only goal and I like how similarly Rola is a doctor for goodness sake but there's still that pressure to do the traditional thing the way the world opens to her when she finally gets engaged you talk about that Yes, absolutely. Um, the thing with Montserrat's counting, I remember the moment that it sort of came to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that you're like, I have to, you know, in fiction, like, 
we have to talk about this, you know, as a people. Like, you know, so my first novel had been published, and I was doing an event in Lane. It was, I don't think it was the first event, but I'd been away for a while and I'd come back, and there was this event. And when the event finished, you know, this gentleman who I did not know just walked up to me and said, you know, congratulations and everything. And I'm like, thank you. And he said, but I, I don't know, are you married? I'm like, I'm not married. And he sort of says to me, you know, you need to do that. <laughs> you know, this is a random guy. <laughs> like, you must not forget about that. Yeah, I always think you're doing a nice, but you need to get married. And I, I think my initial reaction, I, I'm not sure if I laughed in his face, but I must have been laughing in my head like, what? After all, this is the question you have for me. And then I think I'd already started writing this book then. And later in the week, I think I just kept, my mind came back to me. And I was just so pissed off. Like, who are you to tell me this? You know, but I had that delayed reaction where initially I just thought, this is funny, you know. And then I became a bit, I became quite angry about this. And I really started thinking about how this thing creates, you know, how it builds up over time. And how, say, for someone like Morale, she probably doesn't even remember in terms of numbers, how many times in a week as a teenager she was hearing people say this to her. And I wanted the younger sister who's now going through that to be the one to notice why is this the only thing that she was saying to me all the time as a measure of my character, as a measure of my accomplishments, you know, this doesn't quite add up. So that was the experience that still gave birth to. I'm going to have somebody actually count how many times somebody, people say this to them. And with Wurrala also, it's that, I feel like that's sort of, for me, you know, closer to what I experienced. But at that point, I was in a point in my life where I felt quite happy with my life. I felt quite satisfied. You know, I wanted to be a writer since I was a teenager. I finally had a book out. I thought my life was great. And then I go for an event and a random guy comes up, yeah, me turn and married. And I really wanted to capture what that is like, you know, for many young Nigerian women. It's especially ironic that this was after an event for your first novel, Stay With Me, which, yes. you know. <laughs> That's not an advertisement for marriage. No, it is not. No, it is not. That's so funny. So yeah, one of the big scenes in the novel is Yeye's 50th birthday and all of the preparation and all of the stress that goes in, into planning that and all of the obligations that each child feels in relation to that party. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about Yeye herself mm. and her very wise decision to hoard gold as much as she can I'm, I'm very interested in you know Nigerian women of our, gen of our generation and the contradictions that exist in their lives and how they're able to reconcile all these things because if you run into this woman you would think she's frivolous you know you would just think oh she's so you know how she's about is on this man's life and that's all she's thinking but I, I found that this women are way more complicated and sometimes even more savvy than younger women in terms of their backup to the backup plan. And it's something that 
I think a number of women in that generation did that often they were, it wasn't, it was sort of frowned upon for them to have any assets outside of their marriage, you know? So in fact, there were instances where they would build a house together with their husband and the house would only be in the husband's name, you know, that any desire to have any assets, to have anything that was theirs would invite some kind of scrutiny, like, are you trying to leave the marriage? And I think that many of them then developed systems, you know, of making sure that they would be fine if things went south, as they sometimes and often did, you know. And the goal was, you know, something I'd heard about myself and something that I think is so smart because, again, this is something that many of the men in their lives are dismissive of. It's, oh, it's just jewelry, you know, she yeah. just likes to always, you know, she just likes to look good. And this woman is just building a house that's right in the sight of the person who has said, no, I don't want you to have that. You know, and I wanted to also think about how she and her sisters, you know, have built this community of support for each other that is sort of know that if they haven't needed, their sisters will be there for them. And they have all these resources that you sort of build together. And, you know, she's at a place where she's now, she now wants to pass that on to her daughter, you know, along with all the other complexities of her own life, you know, and some of the compromises that she has made to have the life that she has. And it's a, such a stark, contrast to Aniola's family who doesn't have a community doesn't have a safety net and we see what happens when there's no support either from a community or from the government there are very few options which I suppose leads me to the question tell me about writing a tragedy and promoting this work and because I, I know it, it's a mix of you have to be enthusiastic about this novel and <laughs> smiling and it's wonderful and very dark it took me a while to finish it and I think part of it was that I was sort of avoiding the end you know I was you know I kept writing myself in all this circle you know and because, you know, when I finished Stay With Me, I said to myself, I'm not writing any sad book again. I'm not doing this. <laughs> you know, this is the last one. And then again, I've done it again, yeah. I feel like the piece I've made with it is that I, I think that I do feel that it's a necessary tragedy that I do honestly feel, and I hope that the people who read it feel that way, I feel the culmination of the stories of these two families is inevitable, given all that has gone before, you know, given the time that they're in, the community that they're in, and all the complexity of their lives, I find, to me, it was, you know, when I was writing it, it felt inevitable, and I wanted to stay true to that, you know. I didn't want to bring in some do-head machina and just, you know, and everybody's happy and all is well <laughs> as well. Yeah, I really wanted to stay true to that. Yeah, what's it like promoting it? You know, I think it, it's sometimes it's strange 
I think a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to someone and they talked about, they talked about the place they were in in their lives and they were looking forward to reading. And I sort of thought, and I sort of said, I'm not sure you should read this right now. <laughs> I, I just said to her, you know, I think you should come to it later. I don't know if you should read it right now. But I also do think that there's a lot to enjoy, you know, in the book. There's a lot to enjoy. And I think the characters are really the selling point, you know, if one is to put it like that, that you do meet people who are interesting and I hope layered and compelling. So yeah, if you're listening, I just think you should buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> A spell of good things. Before we go, will you please yeah. recommend some books for us? Okay. So there's a novel I read a while ago that I really liked. It's called from a low and quiet sea, from a low and quiet sea by, it's an Irish writer, Donna Ryan. It's a very quiet book. I really loved it. And then there's Om Pius by Kabila Shamshi, which oh. is a book that I love. Another tragedy, but <laughs> I also love. I've recently been reading more nonfiction. So I would recommend. I've been rereading I Am Still With You by Emmanuel Duma, which, because I'm married to him, I read while I was writing it, but I'm rereading it now. This is closer to publication. It's really lovely. And then there's Mayhem. I'm going to mispronounce the name, but it's by Sigrid Rawson. It's a memoir about her brother's addiction. It's, it's absolutely lovely to... Yeah, and I am still going to choose a memoir about the aftermath of the Diaphragma War. That's a great <laughs> reading list. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was great. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review. And check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.